Chapter Ten of A Slave Is a Slave by H. Beam Piper. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten, the last chapter. At the same time, Ravney was saying into his own screen, "Plan Four, Variation H three. This is a rescue operation. This is not repeat underscore not an intervention in planetary government." You are to protect members of the masterly class in danger from mob violence. That's anybody with hair on his head. Stay away from the Citadel. The ones there are all dead. Start with the four buildings closest to us and get them cleared out. If the shave heads give you any trouble, don't argue with them. Just shoot them. Erskyll, after his brief moment of decisiveness, was staring at the screen to the convocation chamber where bodies were still being heaved into the lorries like black sacks of grain. Lons Degbrin summoned a robot, had it pour a highball, and gave it to the proconsul. Go ahead, Count Erskyll, drink it down. Medicinal, he was saying. Believe me, you certainly need it. Erskyll gulped it down. I think I could use another, if you please, he said, handing the glass back to Lons. And a cigarette. After he had tasted his second drink and puffed on the cigarette, he said, I was so proud. I thought they were learning democracy. We don't, any of us, have too much to be proud about, Degbrin told him. They must have been planning and preparing this for a couple of months, and we never caught a whisper of it. That was correct. They had deluded Erskyll into thinking that they were going to let the masters vote themselves out of power and set up a representative government. They had deluded the masters into believing that they were in favor of the status quo and opposed to Erskyll's democratization and socialization. There must be only a few of them in the conspiracy. Chimid and Hoshet and Zanar and Kahuzik and Shefferts and the rest of the Citadel chief-slave clique. Among them they controlled all the armed force. The bickering and rivalries must have been part of the camouflage. He supposed that a few of the upper army commanders had been in on it, too. A communication screen began making noises. Somebody flipped the switch, and Gregor Chimid appeared in it. Erskyll swore softly, and went to face the screen image of the elephantine ex-slave of the ex-Lord Master, the late Rovard Javasin. Citizen Proconsul, why is our telecast station, which is vitally needed to give information to the people, jammed off the air? And why are you broadcasting on our wavelength advice to the criminals of the psi demon masterly class to take refuge in your proconsular palace from the just vengeance of the outraged victims of their century-long exploitation? He began. This is a flagrant violation of the Imperial Constitution. Our Emperor will not be pleased at this unjustified intervention in the affairs, and this interference with the planetary authority of the people's commonwealth of Aditya. Obrey of Erskyll must have realized, for the first time, that he was still holding a highball glass in one hand and a cigarette in the other. He flung both of them away. If the Imperial troops we are sending into the city to rescue women and children in danger from your hoodlums meet with the least resistance, you won't be in a position to find out what His Majesty thinks about it. 
because Admiral Shatrak will have you and your accomplices shot in the convocation chamber where you massacred the legitimate government of this planet, he barked. So the real Obrey, Count Erskyll, had at last emerged. All the liberalism and socialism and egalitarianism, all the helping hand, torch of democracy, idealism, was merely a surface stucco applied at the university during the last six years. For twenty-four years before that, from the day of his birth, he had been taught by his parents, his nurse, his governess, his tutors, what it meant to be an Erskyll of Aton, and a grandson of Erold, Duke of Yorvoy. As he watched Gregor Schmid in the screen, he grew angrier, if possible. "'Do you know what your bloodthirsty imbeciles have done?' he demanded. You have just murdered, along with two thousand men, some five billion crowns, the money needed to finance all these fine modernization and industrialization plans. Or are you crazy enough to think that the Empire is going to indemnify you for being emancipated and pay that money over to you? But citizen proconsul, don't call me citizen proconsul. I am a noble of the Galactic Empire, and on this pig-pen of a planet I represent His Imperial Majesty. You will respect and address me accordingly." Gregor Schmid no longer wore the gorget of servility, but as Lons Degbrin had once remarked, it was still tattooed on his soul. He gulped. Yes, Lord Master Proconsul. They were together again in the big conference-room, which von Shatrak had been using, through the day, as an extemporized battle-control. They slumped wearily in chairs, they smoked and drank coffee, they anxiously looked from view-screen to view-screen, wondering when and how soon the trouble would break out again. It was dark outside now. Floodlights threw a white dazzle from the top of the proconsular palace, and from the tops of the four buildings around it that imperial troops had cleared and occupied, and from contragravity vehicles above. There was light and activity at the citadel, and in the servile city to the southeast. The rest of Zuckensburg was dark and quiet. "'I don't think we'll have any more trouble,' Admiral Shatrak was saying. They won't be fools enough to attack us here, and all the masters are dead, except for the ones we're sheltering." "'How many did we save?' Count Erskyll asked. Eight hundred-odd,' Shadrach told him. Erskyll caught his breath. "'So few! Why, there were almost twelve thousand of them in the city this morning!' "'I'm surprised we saved so many,' Lons Degbrin said. He still wore combat coveralls, and a pistol belt lay beside his chair. Most of them were killed in the first hour. And that had been before the landing craft from the ships had gotten down. And there had been only seven hundred men and forty vehicles available. He had gone out with them himself. It had been the first time he had worn battle dress and helmet or carried a weapon, except for sport in almost thirty years. It had been an ugly, bloody business, one he wanted to forget as speedily as possible. There had been times, after seeing the mutilated bodies of masterly women and children, when he had been forced to remind himself that he had come out to prevent, not to participate in, a massacre. Some of Ravney's men hadn't even tried. 
Atrocity has a horrible facility for begetting atrocity. "'What'll we do with them?' Erskyll asked. "'We can't turn them loose. They'd all be murdered in a matter of hours, and in any case they'd have nowhere to go. The Commonwealth—' He pronounced the name he had himself selected, as though it were an obscenity, has nationalized all the masterly property. That had been announced almost as soon as the Citadel telecast station had been unjammed, and shortly thereafter they had begun encountering bodies of Yakub Zanar's soldiers and Sahors Kahuzik's police, who had been sent out to stop looting and vandalism and occupy the masterly palaces. There had been considerable shooting in the servile city. Evidently the ex-slaves had to be convinced that they must not pillage or destroy their places of employment. "'Evacuate them off-planet,' Shatrak said. "'As soon as Algol gets here we'll load a lot of them into Mizar or Canopus and haul them somewhere. Gnu only knows how they'll live, but—' "'Oh, they won't be paupers or public charges, Admiral,' he said. You know there's an estimated five billion crowns in slave compensation, and when I return to Odin I shall represent most strongly that these survivors be paid the whole sum. But I shall emphatically not recommend that they be resettled on Odin. They won't be at all grateful to us for today's business, and on Odin they could easily stir up some very adverse public sentiment. My resignation will answer any criticism of the establishment the public may make," Erskyll said. Oh, rubbish! Don't talk about resigning, O'Bray. You made a few mistakes here, though I can't think of a better planet in the galaxy on which you could have made them. But no matter what you did or did not do, this would have happened eventually. You really think so? O'Bray, Count Erskyll, was desperately anxious to be assured of that. Perhaps if I hadn't been so insistent on this constitution, that wouldn't have made a particle of difference. We all made this inevitable simply by coming here. Before we came it would have been impossible. No slave would have been able even to imagine a society without Lord's Master. You heard Chimid and Hoshet the first day, aboard the Empress Eulalie. A slave had to have a master. He simply couldn't belong to nobody at all. And until you started talking socialization, nobody could have imagined property without a masterly property-owning class. And a massacre like this would have been impossible to organize or execute. For one thing, it required an elaborate conspiratorial organization, and until we emancipated them, no slave would have dared trust any other slave. Every one would have betrayed any other to curry favor with his Lord Master. We taught them that they didn't need Lord's Master or Masterly favor any more, and we presented them with the situation their established routines didn't cover, and forced them into doing some original thinking, which must have hurt like Niflheim at first. And we retrained the army and handed it over to Yakub Zanar, and inspired Zaharik Kahuzik to organize the labor police. And fundamentally, no government is anything but armed force. Really, Obrey, I can't see that you can be blamed for anything but speeding up an inevitable process slightly. You think they'll see it that way at Asgard? You mean the Prime Minister and His Majesty? That will be the way I shall present it to them. That was another reason I wanted to stay on here. 
I anticipated that you might want a credible witness to what was going to happen, he said. Now you'll be here for not more than five years before you're promoted elsewhere. Nobody remains longer than that on a first proconsular appointment. Just keep your eyes and ears, and especially your mind, open while you are here. You will learn many things undreamed of by the political science faculty at the University of Nefertiti. You said I made mistakes, Erskyll mentioned, ready to start learning immediately. Yes, I pointed one of them out to you some time ago. Emotional involvement with local groups. You began sympathizing with the servile class here almost immediately. I don't think either of us learned anything about them that the other didn't. Yet I found them despicable, one and all. Why did you think them worthy of your sympathy? Why, because, for a moment, that was as far as he could get. His motivation had been thalmic rather than cortical, and he was having trouble externalizing it verbally. They were slaves. They were being exploited and oppressed. And, of course, their exploiters were a lot of heartless villains, so that made the slaves good and virtuous innocents. That was your real fundamental mistake. You know, Obrey, the downtrodden and long-suffering proletariat aren't at all good or innocent or virtuous. They are just incompetent. They lack the abilities necessary for overt villainy. You saw this afternoon what they were capable of doing when they were given an opportunity. You know, it's quite all right to give the underdog a hand, but only one hand. Keep the other hand on your pistol, or he'll try to eat the one you gave him. As you may have noticed today, when underdogs get up, they tend to turn out to be wolves. What do you think this commonwealth will develop into, under Chimid and Hushead and Kahuzik and the rest? Lons Degbrin asked, to keep the lecture rolling. Oh, a slave state, of course. Look who's running it, and whom it will govern. Not the kind of slave state we can do anything about, he hastened to add. The commonwealth will be very definite about reorganizing that sapient beings cannot be property, but all the rest of the property will belong to the commonwealth. Remember that remark of Chimid's? It will belong to everybody, but somebody will have to take care of it for everybody. That will be you and me. Erskyll frowned. I remember that. I didn't like it at the time. It sounded out of character for a good and virtuous proletariat. Almost masterly, in fact. He continued. The Commonwealth will be sole employer as well as sole property owner, and anybody who wants to eat will have to work for the Commonwealth on the Commonwealth's terms. Chimids and Hoshets and Kahuziks, that is. If that isn't substitution of peonage for chattel slavery, I don't know what the word peonage means. But you'll do nothing to interfere. You will see to it that Aditya stays in the Empire, and adheres to the Constitution, and makes no trouble for anybody off-planet. I fancy you won't find that too difficult. They'll be good, as long as you deny them the means to be anything else, and make sure that they continue to call you Lord Master Proconsul. Lecturing, he found, was dry work. He summoned a bartending robot. Ho, oh, slave, attend your lord master. Then he had to use his ultraviolet pencil light to bring it to him, and dial for the brandy and soda he wanted. As long as that was necessary, there really wasn't anything to worry about. 
but some of these days they'd build robots that would anticipate orders, and robots to operate robots, and robots to supervise them, and— No, it wouldn't quite come to that. A slave is a slave, but a robot is only a robot. As long as they stuck to robots, they were reasonably safe. End of chapter 10 End of A Slave is a Slave by H. Beam Piper This recording made by Phil Chenevere, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, June 2012